0: Just uh, just continue to pray for our family as um, she has to rely on me to do things. And, well, we know how that goes. So thank you. Uh, listen, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that she's better. I missed your faces. I did. I I have a hard time when I'm not here seeing you on a Sunday. And I don't know if it's it's a, a pride thing. I hope it's not a pride thing. But here's the thing. We all want to be known for something. We all have this desire to be known. Now, you may push back and say, oh, no, I just want to fade into the background. That's really not true. You want to be known. Whether you think about it at all or if you think about it too much... We want people, when they ask about us, say, hey, um, what about so-and-so? You want certain adjectives to come to mind. The adjectives that we want to come, uh, come to mind actually say a lot about us. They determine a lot about our, our thought process and the things that we do when we think. Some of us, those adjectives that we desire to be known by come out online. It's what we say in that sphere about ourselves. Or for some of us, it's about the things that we hide, the things that we put another thing in front so that they don't see the other parts of us. Or it's the the words that that we listen for, the things that offend us. And it definitely affects the way that we interact on social media. So my question for you today is, what do you want to be known for? So in the spirit of transparency, I thought what we'd do is we'd start with me. I'll, I'll stand up here and I'll tell you what I want to be known for. And, and then, well, uh, we'll, well, we'll then go, go here to this row, and we'll start there with Jake. And we'll say, Jake, come on up here and, and tell us what you want to be known for. And, and then we'll just kind of make it through the whole, of course we're not gonna do that, right? We're not going to do that. But what I thought I'd share with you today, though, are my adjectives. The things that I want to be known for, I want to be known as not just a husband and a father, but a good one. I want to be known by my family as, a, as someone who cares for them, who loves them, who is patient with them. I want to be known as a good husband and a good father. I also want to be known as a compassionate person, someone who is able to empathize and sympathize with you and to sit with you and and put an arm around your shoulder and tell you that it may not be okay, but God is still good. I want to be hospitable. I have trouble in the office, and, and here's the trouble that I have in the office. I have a lot of work that I need to do during the week, but I have a hard time closing my door because I don't want my door to be shut to anyone. And that's the same thing in our home. We don't want our door to our home to be shut to anyone. We want to be hospitable people. And this last one is just one of these that comes uh, from doing what I do for as long as I've done it. I want to be a visionary. I want to be known as a visionary, one that sees something that no one else sees, that sees the good in someone that they aren't able to see, that sees the future for a church, for a group that they are unwilling or unable to see at the moment. I want to be known as somebody that strains for the kingdom here. So what about you? If you were to write down on the notes section of your bulletin, what are those adjectives that I want to be known for? What are they? What do you do, though, when you have those adjectives? Like you want to be a good spouse. What do you do when you don't measure up? That is, what do you do when your adjectives when you're not your adjectives. So what do we do? Well, we pretend. We pretend and we mislead and we cover it up and we make excuses about those adjectives that we just don't measure up to. In other words, we begin to manage our image. Now some of you are like, listen, I don't have people. Nobody follows me. You know, I have like two people that follow me on Instagram, and I'm one of them, right? (laughs) Uh, But the problem with managing our image is our image, if we are the ones managing it, if we just spend our time pouring into that, you know what that makes us? Imaginary people. If all you're doing is managing a facade in front of everybody else, then no one actually knows you. And so you are an imaginary person. And that's why when you wake up and you look in the mirror and you go, I don't even know who this person is. Right? And that's the problem. There's a tension that builds when when you are something on the inside that's not projected on the outside. When there's a tension there, when there's a disconnect, when there's a gap without meaning to, you become an imaginary person. Without meaning to, you become this imaginary person that no one really has an opportunity to know. Because when you're an imaginary person, it's impossible to be genuine. It's impossible for you to have a genuine relationship if all you're doing is managing the things that people see. It's impossible to have gen- a genuine friendship, to have Absolute intimacy in a relationship to have a genuine marriage. You can't have genuine relationships without being genuine. And you can't manage an image. You can't manage an image and have a huge gap between who you are and who people think you are. Now, I've done church ministry for long enough to know that this is probably the default to 80% of you in this room. You have something that you're hiding from everybody else. And you think this, that if somebody actually knew me, they wouldn't like me. So here's what we do when we discover that there's a gap between who we want to be, what we want to be known by, and who we feel we are. And in that moment, when we find out there's a gap, we begin to pretend. And when you begin pretending, you get stuck. You stop growing. The moment you begin to pretend, you stop growing. Now, you keep getting older. That's one of those things, you either get older or you don't, right? You either get older, but you're not getting better, you're not getting deeper, you're not getting any closer to that person that you want people to believe that you, you are. You know you want to be described as a certain word. And in fact, if there's an adjective that maybe we could describe somebody as, could you, could you say that, you know what, I want my adjective to be finer. You couldn't find a finer person than them. We want that. We want people, when they think of us, to think kindly. We want them to think highly. I couldn't think of a better person than so-and-so. But see, when you start pretending, you get stuck. And I'll tell you right now, the pressure is on for people who are in ministry. The ones who are pastors, the pressure is on because you kind of want to put your best foot forward all the time kind of want to just be that person that's always putting out the very best. And you kind of always have to, be, have to be on. Kind of the same way that you always have to be on as a parent. You don't want to lose your moral authority with your kids, so you're always on. Or <laughs> maybe you should be on. Simply because you don't want your kids to lose respect for you. So in the leadership world, everyone is your kid. In the church world, as a pastor, everyone's your kid, and you always want to be on. You don't want them to lose respect for you. So you learn to be careful. And there's an immense pressure to pretend. But here's the rub. To the degree that your lifestyle to the degree that your marriage, to the degree that your faith goes off course from what you present of yourself, from what I present of myself, from what I speak about, to the degree that there's a gap between those things, there's a pressure then to pretend. But let me tell you, if, you're, if we're being honest, you actually want me to pretend, because, well, what if it went this way? Hey, we're about to do a new series on self-control. But before we start on this new series, I wanted to say thank you to the deacons for pulling me out of that fist fight last night. <laughs> you don't want that. Or, hey, we're going to, to start a new series on making marriages work. But before we begin, listen, I, I just have to say this to Melanie. Melanie, I am so, so sorry and I'm so glad that you said you're gonna give me another chance. <laughs> if things are falling apart, you want me to pretend because there's an immense pressure when things are falling apart. And you know you know the pressure. You know the pressure of maintaining an image. Some of you are doing it with your parents right now. And it doesn't matter if you're a teenager or you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, you may be doing it with your parents right now. You have this image that you're trying to maintain. We all feel it. We feel it at work. We feel it when there's a pressure to to produce, and we know that we don't have the skills to do it. It's pressure at home. When you want to be that family that sits down to dinner every single night, but you're just thankful to have lunch or dinner from a bag and say, pat the kids on their head as they go off to sleep at night. You have that pressure at school. You have it in your mind that you had to make a certain grade. And you have to be loved so much by this certain teacher. We feel pressure in all kinds of places. And most of us have gaps. We have gaps between the adjectives that we want to be known by and the ones that we use for ourselves. We have that gap between the people that we want to be and the people who we think we are. But here's the bottom line. Nobody really knows you better than you. And we talked about the tendency last uh, last time, uh, two weeks ago, um, that we have this tendency to put on this church face. We have this tendency to, you know, be yelling at the kids, pulling in, sliding in sideways into the parking lot. Uh, You guys are going to get it when we get home. You open the door and all of a sudden it's just smiles. How are you? So good to see you. Oh, we're great. Couldn't be better. Right? It's all smiles for miles, right? You're on your best behavior. Because we're pretty sure that if people knew what we sweep under the rug, what we hide in the closet, and how we speak to our kids, that people wouldn't like us. If people don't know, if they don't really know what you're like, they don't really like you. Now, that wasn't offensive. I'll I'll say it again. If people don't know what you really like, they don't really like you. They like an image of you that you're projecting. They like the image of you. They like what they see on social media. They like what they see as you are are walking through a hallway, uh, giving high fives and telling people that everything's fine. They like the imaginary you, the front that you put up. And see, we're all, we're all just so tempted to become great pretenders. And when we're pretenders, we're imposters. And we can't really embrace who we really are. We can't get to where we need to be. We can't get to where we want to be. We can't get to where we should be. Because we wanted to be known for something. But what we really need in our lives is to be known by some someones. We need relationships in our lives where we can drop the facade, where we can drop the get-it-togetherness, where we can open the door with laundry on the couch, mail on the counter, and dishes in the sink, and smile and say, Welcome. And mean it. We all have this image of an organized life, right? This image that we crafted. We need a place where we can drop all of that without fear of being rejected. Because that's why we do those things anyway, right? We do the things that we think people want us to do so that they won't reject us. Do you want proof? We are attracted to acceptance, whether it's healthy or not. Think back to middle school. If you're in middle school, think about right now. You are attracted to the environment where you don't feel rejected. When my family moved from, after I finished middle school, we moved to a new town, and I started my freshman year of high school. And I've told you this before. The first group that accepted me were, we called them the kickers, okay? They're the ones that wore all the the Western garb but actually didn't even own a tractor, a cow, or a pickup truck, right? But, man, they looked like it. So I had me a 10X beaver black felt hat, I had an eel skin belt with a Texas a belt buckle. And I had that really nice turquoise and purple and pink. And, I mean, it was, listen, if you're wearing that right now, I'm sorry, but it was atrocious. <laughs> but I was attracted to the first people that accepted me. Ultimately, that group was not the group that I ended up with because I figured something out. I didn't want to be like them. It's not that they were necessarily bad people, but they were doing things that I didn't want to do. And so I was drawn to the person, to the people, to the group that I was accepted by, whether it was healthy or not. And you're, you're attracted to the environment where you are accepted, where, where you feel people say, You're accepted, and then you say, I like these people. You know why? Because these people are real. Have you ever said that? You ever gone, you know, hey, listen, they may not be the best people in the world, but at least they're real. Maybe it's just the first time that you've been real around other people. That's why you felt accepted. But that's why some people don't like church. Because they feel that when they step into the the hallway of a church, into the worship center, that they've not met any real people. It may be true that other people accepted you. But there's a reality to you. They accepted you because you were real, maybe for the first time. But maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something that that about the people that you first are really real with are the ones that you enjoy being with. Because when you get real, you get known. And maybe you felt like that for the first time because you finally let somebody in. You finally let somebody see the real you. And when you find that group, When you find that circle of people, if it's the right group and they're going in the right direction, you can be you because they have your best interest in mind. It's a powerful concept that you were made to be in community. And now for some of you, this may take a little bit of convincing. But this is the place that you should be. This is the place that you're supposed to be. Believe it or not, in this place, you're supposed to be real. You're supposed to be so real that it's transparent. The church was designed, is designed to be a place of reality, of truthfulness, of transparency. You may not, though, have had the best church experience. And that's why there's a tension. This is supposed to be the very place, the very place where you can experience being known, being really known. You want to know why that's true? Because before the first First Baptist, before the first First Methodist, before the first Church of whatever, There was the very, very, very first church in Jerusalem in the first century. And the first pastor of that church was Jesus' brother, James. And he said this about the church. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. That you, my friends, may be healed. Healed. So, I have a little exercise for you. I want you to pair up. I want you to confess your deepest, darkest sins to one another. But I suggest that you don't go first. (laughs) We're not going to do that. But when you read that, when you read that passage, you and I think the same thing. (laughs) Ha, no way. Absolutely not. I will confess my sins to God, no problem. But I don't want anyone knowing what I've been up to. That's the same as me saying, I don't want anyone to know me. Now, this is probably about the time where I lose like 90% of the men in the room. Because to be known, (laughs) that means they'll actually know. They'll know what's inside me. They'll know what's going on in my marriage. They'll know what's going on in my friendships. They'll understand my video-watching habits. Did you know... You know, I say that I don't want to be lonely, right? I don't want to be lonely, but I don't know what's wrong. And you say that, and nobody knows you. Because there's a huge power in being known. Jesus says that this is what the church is for. The church is to confess your sins. The church is, is, is for you to confess your sins, to pray for one another based on what you know about each other so that you can be healed. There's power in confession. There's power in intercession. There's power when we gather together, when we bear one another's burdens. There's something On the inside that cannot happen until you're willing to do something on the outside and we can't do that in here because the rows they impose right it's impossible to do in rows what you need to do in circles and that's what the church is supposed to do the writer of Hebrews said let us consider let us consider how we may spur one another along toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, Christians are supposed to be about loving each other, about doing good. They're supposed to be about caring for one another, so... so The writer says, I want you to figure this out. I want you to figure out as a body, as a church, how to encourage and move each other along in this. I want you to learn how to be in one another's lives to such an extent that you prod, that you encourage, that you enter into, that you push towards lives that are characterized by love and good deeds. Oh, and one more thing. You have to get together. Because the Christian life is not a Lone Ranger thing. It's not a me and God are good. We don't need anybody else because, you know, two's company, but three's a crowd. You need other people. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in sin, and that's if you know anyone, all of us, brothers and sisters, as everyone, if you know someone that is tangled up, caught up in sin, they have no way, they've been been trapped in a snare, they have no way to get out on their own. If you notice someone is caught in sin, someone who needs a real friend, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Following Jesus means that you live by the Spirit. And the Spirit always moves us to bringing gentle restoration. But watch yourselves, or you too may be tempted. Be careful. Be careful as you find people that are caught and entangled in sin that you don't get caught in it too. Be careful. Don't go alone. Keep yourself from being entangled too. He says, carry one another's burdens. And in this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if I'm going to carry your burden, this is the hard part. I'm going to have to know what your burden is. Let me um, mansplain this for you. Gentlemen, if I'm going to help you to be the man that you want to be when you look in the mirror, I need to know what you struggle in. Somebody needs to know. It doesn't have to be me, but it needs somebody that's that's going in the direction that you want to go. Are you upset that your family's not going the direction you wanted it to go? Let me ask you. What are you hiding? Now, pastor, I came to be encouraged today. But you're telling me that people need to know? Yeah. People need to know. Someone needs to know. Because if someone's going to carry your burden, they need to know what it is. So look how, look how he finishes. He finishes. He says, by carrying one another's burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the the law of Christ? Jesus, before he was crucified, took the 600 plus commands, and he boiled them down to two. Love God, love people. Then he boiled it down to one, which is the law of Christ, which is, love other people the way that God, through Christ, has loved you. Paul said it this way, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Love them the way that God through Christ loved you. Accept them even in their weakness. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another as God through Christ accepted you and this brings glory to God. as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our job, our directive is to learn how to accept one another the way that God through Christ accepted us. So there's a good question. Do you know why God accepted you just the way that you are? God accepted you just the way that you are so that he could transform you into who he wants you to be. He accepted you not to leave you as you are, not to leave you in your sin, but to transform you because good parents, you know what they don't do? They don't just leave you behind. They love you and accept you and they want their kids to grow, they want their kids to mature. Do you, know, do you know where you will best experience God's unconditional, transformational acceptance? With people who are open to God's unconditional, transformational acceptance. You give, you get what you give, and you give what you want to get, Unconditional, transformational acceptance. Acceptance with a view not to say, oh, it's okay. It's fine. I know it's the 500th time this week that we've said that it's okay about this, but it's okay. It's acceptance with a view to improve. And that's what the church is about. That's what we as a body are to be about because that's what Jesus is all about. Jesus is all about acceptance with a view to improve, acceptance to become transformed into his likeness because that's the gospel. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. He sent his Son not just to leave, not just to love and leave you, but to move in your life in such a way that it transforms you from the inside out. And the way that he does that, one of the ways he does that is through the church, through other people being on the same journey as you. Acceptance with a view to improvement. And the place that this happens is in a circle. The place that this happens is in a small group where someone knows your burden. Someone knows your burden and they can carry it. And they know yours, too. They're real people, real friends, real change. No more pretending, because we can pretend in rows. We can pretend getting out of the car. We can pretend putting on our Sunday best, but in a circle, in a group. There's no more pretending. Real people, real friends, because you can't have a genuine friendship until you become genuine. You can't have a healthy marriage until you become real with one another. You don't change until you face where you are, and you look at the gap between where you, who you are and where you want to be. And that's the power of circles. That's the power of being in a church. Small groups, they're, be, they're beginning, they start tonight, and you can be a part of that. There's a QR code in your bulletin. But let me say this. Imaginary you. Imaginary you does not have time to be in a group. Imaginary you has a 100,000 excuses. But I know, I know the real you is dying for this. Truth be told, your marriage may be dying for this. Or for lack of this. Listen, you're a couple. And everybody thinks that you met at HEB. Because that's the story you decided to tell. But it wasn't really HEB. And the reason you got together wasn't just because he was cute or she smiled pretty. Someone needs to know that. Because if you hide in a story and you wonder why you struggle, if you hide in a, in a story and you wonder why stuff is going on, it's because nobody knows your real story. You need a place to tell it. You need people who will hear it and not reject you. You need a place where everybody sees the real you because everybody else gets to see the church face, the great neighbor, the cute little family, the ones that you know have that really nice car and they they walk in the neighborhood in the evening and you know they got that little yippy dog but that's okay, but you know they're just a cute wrinkle-free family. I bet they don't have trouble in the world. But what they don't know is you desperately need an iron. And that's why we want you to be in small groups to get some of this stuff ironed out. You may be the kind of person that everybody thinks that you have tons of friends. You don't have friends. You just know a lot of people. But culture is pushing up against you, and it says protect the image, protect the image, protect the image. That's why we do all of these things that we do. That's why we dress the way we do. That's why we, we talk the way we do. That's why we're in this profession versus that profession. That's why we, we walk in the room a certain way. That's why we position ourselves in this way. We protect our image, and that's what the culture tells us. But Jesus says, I want you to come out from behind all of that stuff. I want you to come out in the open. Not with everyone. Because you'll face criticism. But in my body, Jesus says, in my church, with my people, there's a safe place. If you will get real, Jesus will become more real to you than you've ever imagined. Jesus will become so much more vibrant.